Hello and welcome to the good friends of Jackson Elias. We are delighted that you found us. This episode that you've selected is the first one we recorded, back in the days when we recorded in Paul's Garden Shed on somewhat less than optimal recording equipment. As a result, the audio quality is extremely poor, especially compared to our later episodes. We have learnt an awful lot about podcasting in the intervening years, and we would much rather, if this is your first exposure to The Good Friends, that you start with one of our later episodes. Any episode from 71 onwards is more representative of what The Good Friends are these days. We would recommend that you find one of these later episodes with the topic that appeals to you, give that a try, and then judge the podcast based on that. Then, if you're still curious, please, by all means, do come back and listen to these earlier episodes. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Here's a Japanese sneaking on with a just an old second hand man, he'll buy your old days from you. He will take every sorrow of the day that is through. And he'll bring you tomorrow, just to start life anew. We are the good friends of Jackson and Elias. We're a new podcast uh, talking about Call of Cthulhu, H.P. Lovecraft, and horror gaming in general. Okay, well, this evening from uh, from the Pottery Shed, we are talking about <laughs> creating characters for your game and using pregens. So, talking about the pros and cons of using the letting the characters, letting the players roll up their characters, as opposed to using pregens in the game. What you can do to incorporate all those things. Do you want to introduce yourself, Matt? Don't tell me your name, Matt. God damn! damn. My name is Onzi List. Yeah, um, yeah I'm. Yeah, um, Matt. Matt Sanderson, uh, freelance author, uh, convention gamer, cocktail mixer. Yes, indeed. Uh, my my nickname, as uh, various friends will uh, say, is uh, Matt, either the gentleman tippler or White Russian Sanderson. <laughs> yeah, well, when I played in your game at the last convention I was at, turned up at your. Um, Place of residence, your your uh, apartment, and you had a whole bar on the. On the I, I've seen photographs oh, of yes. That was breathtaking. <laughs> <laughs> this is the man to get into a game with if you can. What do you want to drink? I don't know. Something sort of long and cool, Matt. The Cosmopolitan. That sounds fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, drink, drinks are complimentary. Yes. The yes, it's the Yes, it's going to be a race to see which gives out first: your sanity or your liver. <laughs> <laughs> well, white, Russian, Russian, white Russians are on hand this evening. So. <laughs> it is. Okay. And next to Matt, we have. I'm Scott Dorwood. Um, I'm also a, a freelance writer and, and convention GM. Um, I've been running games at conventions for a long time now. It feels like a long, long time. time. Uh, yeah, I've played in some of them a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, expect, I was expecting you to go, yeah, for three years. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the longer than Matt's been on the earth. Yes. Well, that, that's not actually difficult, though. Is it? <laughs> hey, there's a reason why we call you Daddy again. <laughs> and I'm Paul Fricker. Um, ditto, really. Um, so, I was thinking earlier, when I was driving along, I was thinking, how many years of 
experience of playing Cork Zoo have we got? I started about 25 years ago. I started about 30. So that's 55. Come on, Matt. Be 13. Lucky for some. That's 68 years. That's a lifetime of Call of Cthulhu that we have to draw upon. <laughs> some people don't even live that long. 68 years. That, that's even older than I am. I don't, Sandy Peterson's not that old. And We've got more years of playing the game than he has. I think that says a lot. Yeah, it does. And you get less money. We're going to get, <laughs> we're going to get death threats. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Which is blasphemy? <laughs> yes. No. We love Sandy. <laughs> so, so we, we're doing a show, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. Yes. And we're gonna. What we're gonna do each week? Um, well, as I said, no promises. So I don't want to say we're not going to do something, but we don't have a plan to sort of. Well, actually, that was should have been a full stop. There, we don't <laughs> have a plan. We don't have a plan to kind of have weekly. Um, yeah, Feature, features. Uh, features. That's the word that I'm kind of looking for. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to pick one theme for the week. Um, and we've got a big list of them. Um, I read it earlier. I haven't read it to the others yet. I think it'll be fine. Uh, so we can, we might be talking about some aspects of Lovecraft stories. Perhaps we might mm-hmm. pick a Lovecraft story one week. Uh, we might pick, um, something just related to Call of Cthulhu, um, such as film stories, um, maybe some real world events. Or we might go into the heart of uh, Call of Cthulhu with a campaign or book scenarios, and you know. But each week we'll try and have some kind of topic to focus on. Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say as well that at some point uh, within the next few weeks we'll be talking a bit about seventh edition as well. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, yeah. yeah, as as Paul wrote the rules for it, and, and Matt and I have both been involved with the uh, the production of it. Uh, mm-hmm. we've, like, we've got a bit of insight we can share, but. That, that's not going to happen this week. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get uh, my call for Mike Mason on sometime as well. So, uh, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. So we've all written for it, play tested it, or developed it in some way, but shape or form. Yeah. So tonight's theme is investigators. Um, well, in, in characters in general, but it's called Cthulhu, so we'll call them investigators. Yep. It's investigators what's... of the unknown. Yeah. Yes. But, but it's what they're called in the book, so it's the right thing. Yes. Yeah. You're adhering to the one true way. Are you sure it's you, Scott? Yeah, I must warn the listeners that Scott may go off on, uh, onto, uh, deviant games that aren't actually called Cthulhu. Um, but you just have to bear with us on that. Yes. Yeah, we may have a, we may have a small, uh, sweepstake or vote poll on the page before you start listening as to how long will it take, dot, dot, dot. That's going to be a page. <laughs> don't, don't worry, the other two aren't so, so shy and slapping me down. <laughs> uh, we might, like, have a page with show notes and things on at some point, but for now, there's probably just this show, so don't go looking for too much more behind it. Um, no reason that you would. Okay, so characters, investigators, Pre-gens, getting the players to roll them up themselves. What do we do? It depends. Um, for me, you know, I, I, I personally, I run a lot of convention games. I run a lot of one-shots. Um, and when I do so, I tend to prefer using pre-gens um, for a variety of reasons. Um, the, the main one is that you know, when, when I'm creating a, a one-shot scenario, I want the characters to be at the centre of it. Um, and you know, for me, writing the characters and writing the scenario is generally the same thing. 
Yeah, yeah. And for me, it's the time consideration. Um, plenty of times I've had to sit down and say, right, is everyone familiar with BRP? Is everyone familiar with Gumshoe? Or is everyone familiar with the storyteller system, etc.? Um, explaining the how the system works is one thing, but having to then guide them through characters, and if they're not familiar with it, you could use two, half to two-thirds of your game slot just uh, just rolling up your character. And I'm sure some of us have been in games <laughs> like that. Yes. Oh, yes. But, but, yeah, I mean, the thing is that, that there are certain games where, uh, you can create a character in seconds, like Cthulhu Darts brings to mind, where your character needs a name and a profession. Um, you know, Dead of Night, uh, will take about two or three minutes once you know the rules to, to create a character. Um, with those, even sometimes I do have pre-gens just simply because I like to preload the dynamics and, and make sure that the characters are a perfect fit for so the game. The, so there's two reasons for making pre-gens. One, you're saying is because it, it speeds the game up. You just give the sheet to people. They've got all the numbers. Some systems are very involved, some not so much. Um, the other one being that you can kind of give, integrate them into the game from the, from the get-go. Yeah. And give them agendas and, and, and so on. Yeah, and I, I think the third one, I, you know, one thing I've heard from um, a, a, a few players I've gamed with over the years is that you know I, I'll give them character types that they never necessarily think of playing themselves, or you know, characters with with backgrounds or agendas that surprise them, and they'll you know enjoy the the, the challenge or the the unexpected aspect of playing them. Yeah, I think if you're given it as a pre-gen. Um, even if it's quite a um, objectionable character, I think you, if if you give me that as a player, and I see you know <laughs> this character is pretty horrible and, and, and so on, um, it, I, I kind of feel I've been given license to play that character up to the hill. But Paul, you've always got license to play that character, even when you're not in the game. <laughs> you play that character. I never step out of character. That's my secret. <laughs> But no, I, from having played various of your uh, convention scenarios, Scott, yes, there's an ordinary and, say, um, normally motivated are not descriptors I would tie to, me- to many of your characters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty boring watching a film where all the characters are just kind of, you know, regular, everyday people. I mean, that's what depending, on, depending on what the film is. Yeah, yeah but how many, in, even in soap operas, the characters are kind of, Push to us towards the extreme in, in some situations, aren't they? There well, has to be some drama and um, with the mouse. Yeah, and but but also you know in drama in general, in soap operas, in you know, whatever film uh, or book you look at, you very rarely end up with the situation where you have a harmonious group. Um, uh, yeah. th- this is something that seems to be you know, peculiar to, to role-playing games. And you, you see it particularly in D&D-like games where you have parties that operate on like military squads, everyone's got their roles, and you're expected to work together as a functioning team. I think that's the, the seed of it all, isn't it? That the, yeah. um, you, You're going into a dungeon, it doesn't matter. So it, it, the, those two things we said about giving the characters agendas or keeping it simple in terms of rolling the dice. If you're playing a D&D you know, stereotypical old school D&D type game, you roll the dice, your character is a set of stats on a sheet. Your agenda is to go into the dungeon, kill stuff and collect treasure. 
Yeah, I mean, you can certainly add all sorts of uh, interesting character quirks and try to make the character interesting. But, yeah, I, and, and I've certainly played in D&D games where that's not the case, where there have been you know, secrets and rivalries. But um, but on the whole, yes, you, know, you are expected to, to, be, um, to be a cohesive unit. Yeah. Uh, and most drama doesn't work like that. Most drama is about conflicts between characters uh it's about um you know differences in agendas it's about people having secrets from each other and you know per- personally i love this stuff in role-playing games uh particularly one shots where you're looking at characters who are potentially quite disposable who you can you know but you can burn through a short intense three-hour game at the end of it if they are completely destroyed or unplayable or dead or insane then you've got a good story out and that's it. perfect for a horror-based game yes yeah definitely yes. and well leonard does it quite well in the crime drama and um, the crime genre as well i mean his characters aren't exactly the most professional shall we say or competent uh, yes. by any means or particularly the villains <laughs> yes yeah, it's not something that restricts itself just to the horror genre, but say it's amply fitted for that. Yes, yeah. So it can be transposed into any game, um, gaming genre out there as well. So especially even better when the two cross over in something like Unknown Armies. Yes, definitely. So um, let's talk a little bit about how you set up these agendas. Um, I'm going to call them agendas, just as a you know these characters' backgrounds, whatever they're you know motivate the motivations, um, whatever. So aside from just rolling the dice and saying, okay, there's the strength, dex, com, intelligence, and so on, um, and then figuring out the numbers for the skills and giving them a shotgun. Um, what else? <laughs> what else do you do? do, do, do double barrel 12 gauge, definitely. It's obligatory. Yeah. Well, personally, I look at the scenario itself and try to identify hooks, things that need to be resolved. I mean, there's given it's a scenario, there is a problem and it needs to be solved. That's what the investigators are there to do, essentially. But there's got to be specific aspects that they themselves have their own little niche car for them. So, A, identify a particular problem. The, the, the PC is the right tool for the job, essentially. It's identifying which, which hole they fill and which hole they fill. And making sure that they all have that, that moment in the spotlight, as it were. They've all got something that they can do and something they bring and something they feel like they can accomplish and achieve in the scenario. It may not necessarily mean they win. Or they survive, but at least they can do something. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to come from it from a slightly different angle. I, I'll, I'll think of a general situation for the scenario, you know, a, a setting, a general problem, perhaps that that is going to face the characters. But then, what I'll look at is uh, the the individual character motivations, things of way, ways of making those interesting, and ways of of bringing them. Not, not always necessarily into conflict with other characters, but certainly making sure that they'll intersect in interesting ways, that everyone isn't completely aligned, that there will be points of friction between the characters and, and sometimes completely incompatible agendas, you know, build this into the character backgrounds, um, tie it into the, the larger problem in the setting. And, uh, you know, all of this is fundamentally because I'm a lazy GM. I, I like to wind all of this stuff ahead of time, you know, uh, you know like, 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 like a clockwork. And then, you know, at the start of the scenario, you know, I just let go of it and watch it waddle across the table. Uh, when, when, when you mention clockworks, so I am thinking, you know, a, a perfect case in point would indeed be Jailbreak from Unknown Armies. Yes. Yeah. The, Jailbreak has been a, a major inspiration on everything I've written since I read that scenario. Uh, to, to some, to some extent, everything I've written since then is a variation of jailbreak. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. 
it's also good from a GM perspective that you have a scenario or rather a situation that's devoid from the word scenario. You set up a situation and drop the characters into it. You can then run that game 50, 100 times over and it will be most likely different every time it's run. There might be similarities that pop up because you've got characters with same similar motivations. But the way that the different characters, the different players interpret them, that's going to be different every time you sit down. It yeah. provides a hell of a lot of joy when you do that. And so it you means see what the players pick up on yeah, out of the things that you've got on the character sheet. Yeah, because you don't necessarily know how they're going to interpret it, so it's as much fun for you as it is for them. And a lot of it's bouncing off them and reacting to what they do. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, again, this this goes back to me being a lazy GM. Um, I, I, I like being able to get as much mileage as possible out of the same scenario and be able to run such a number of different conventions with different players. And if it turns out differently each time, then I don't get bored running it. It's, it's like a different game for me each time. So it, it keeps my interest there. Because you can only run it for so many people at the same time, it means that then more people get to enjoy it as well. Yeah. So everyone's a winner. Yeah, the the other inspiration for me, uh, you know, as well as jailbreak in, in how I create scenarios, has been the experience of of playing and GMing Cold City and Hot Wall, uh, two fantastic games from Contested Grand Studios. If you've not encountered them before, they're very sort of paranoid games. Cold City is set in 1950s Berlin uh, and is about um, the, the the different political factions from different countries there interacting with each other, each of them with hidden agendas, uh, trying to uncover the, uh, the the history of of different secret uh, occult Nazi weapon programs. Uh, and, and Hot War is, is sort of the same setting uh, about 15 years on uh, after uh, an atomic war has uh, is, is, uh, brought the world to ruin and is set in a, a uh, future London. Um, sorry, a, a past London. That's, um, <laughs> alternative <laughs> London. That's, that's the word I'm looking for. From the Cold yeah. War Yes, but but um, what 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 excites me about these games? What has informed the other things that I, I write is the fact that mechanically there are two things that are hard coded into each character, which make uh, for interesting situations. One is the fact that they all have um, affiliations; they they all have factions that they belong to. Um, and these, these factions expect things out of them and will put them into conflicts with the other characters. Uh, the other is that each one has a personal motivation in there as well, which again may bring them into conflict, not only with, um, you know, other characters, but sometimes even with their own faction. So, you know, just, just from that network of, of motivations, you end up with some very, very rich dramatic fodder. Um, and, you know, it's the same kind of thing that, you know, you, you just, sort of throw a reason for these characters to interact that relates to these various agendas and what what's the sparks fly. Yeah, I think there's a there's a scale, isn't there, that, that you can put these things on. So you can have them almost diametrically opposed, yeah. as I've seen in some um kind of uh, cold city hot war games, um, which very quickly it turns out that the, the character on opposite sides, they kind of have an a an overlap in their agendas to some degree. Yeah. They're really at each other's throats. Um, or you can really scale that back and just have fairly subtle things going on, sort of a 
the sort of slow burn friction between yeah. um, player characters. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are certain things which you know, I keep going back to because they work really well for, for just those little bits of, bits of friction. So, you know, things like uh, sibling rivalry, infidel, inf- infidelity, you know, uh, people playing status games with each other. You know, they, they, these, these all... So you just described every um, uh, soap opera <laughs> and there's a reason why soap operas do this because yeah. because it's, it's instant drama and these are the kinds of things that won't necessarily uh, well yeah sometimes but won't necessarily have the characters shooting each other in the face but will add a certain amount of friction which will make the game more interesting but they're kind of universal and everything brings something different to them yes um, as a player yeah so um when it comes to creating scenarios, one of the things I see people doing is is writing their scenario and then looking to make the the, the characters, um, which kind of seems well. Sometimes that's okay because in your typical kind of Call of Cthulhu scenario of yesteryear, you've kind of got a situation and then a bunch of PCs turn up to sort it out. Yeah, but I mean, it, it can get a bit silly sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I've played in some Call of Cthulhu scenarios where, you know, sort of Lord Habersham, um, has had his MacGuffin stolen. So he calls together, you know, his, his manservant, his maid, his lawyer, his haberdasher, and some merchant <laughs> off the street and says, together you shall fight crime. And uh, it it does require a degree of suspension of disbelief of which I am not capable. Especially when normally it turns out the MacGuffin is some item in a weird arcane ritual and your master is actually some cultist that's trying to bring about the end of the world. Damn! (laughs) I never saw that coming. No, not at all. Um, For me, I generally try to look at the scenario and consider all of the characters that would be involved in it, regardless of whether they're player characters or not, and then seeing which one could be potentially interesting to play as a player character. I mean, don't have yeah, them, don't yes, have them just as random person that happens to be walking down the street gets involved in an event they see happening. They're not just some innocent bystander. They're not just some witness or audience. They're actually, they should be an integral part of the story to give the oh. player an investment in that. Yeah, this is their story. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I can remember reading a scenario a few years ago and in which there was a family... Um, and there was uh, terrible things going on among the family members, and I thought, this sounds great. And then you get to the end, and it kind of explains how uh, one of them has called in a bunch of investigators. It's like, well, surely, no, I want to play the brother, I want somebody mm-hmm. else to play the sister. Yeah. And then, you know, that would, that would fly from the, from, the, from the get-go. Everybody would be wanting their own things out of it. Bunch of investigators come in. Are they motivated to do it? No, they just kind of follow along the the tracks that you kind of give them, really. Yeah, I, the, the, the way I look at it, yeah, when I when I'm writing these things, is generally, you know, I don't I don't make the the uh, the characters around the game. I make the game around the characters. Quite often, I'll start with the characters first, or at least the basic premise. But but I'll have the characters and their motivations in mind, and then the other de- details will sort of accrete around that. Um, but you know that that, that keeps the, the 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 investigators, the characters, whatever you want to call them, right at the centre of the story. This is their story. Yeah, I mean, I think you should bear in mind we're very much talking about one-off games yes. here, um, well, where the characters, yeah. well, not exclusively, but where the characters, we as the people running the games, are kind of expecting the characters, kind of, well, not all to crash and burn, but yes. there's certainly you know 
that going down the blaze of glory kind of thing. I've had plenty of instances where some GMs have walked away from the table shaking their heads going, they survived. What have I done wrong? (laughs) (laughs) By some GMs, you mean me. No, I was 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 (laughs) making a thing actually of Continuum a couple of years ago with um, one of the guys who was playtesting one of the scenarios that was hopefully going to go into the um, long-awaited Vietnam or Cambodia edition of Black Seal. But the scenario for that, he was muttering and saying, <laughs> needs work, needs work. I thought well, it was perfectly fine. Yeah, but you survived! <laughs> <laughs> I remember you're the GM. You can kill the players in the head. It's the Game Masters, was that documentary? The Dungeon Masters. Dungeon Masters, yeah, I think. The, uh, the film about Gen Con. Uh, well, about a few individuals at Gen Con. Yes, if you haven't, if you haven't seen this film, uh, it, it's, it's well worth seeing, but it will do nothing to make you love your fellow gamer. Or, or for ticket sales at Gen Con. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, well, actually, no, I, I retract that. Yeah, considering it's been going up to, what, 41,000 members last year? <laughs> really? Yeah. There was a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things I've um, figured when making Call of Cthulhu pre-gens, you know what? For the numbers, I can just keep the same character sheets with the numbers on, give them different names and professions, and just reprint them for different <laughs> that's, games. That's brilliant. I wish I thought of doing that. It's probably a different group of players each time. Yeah. I mean, again, here, folks, we're talking about some running games at conventions. So if you're running them for your group, if you're running the occasional one-off um, for, for a group of, you know, even if they're the same group of people, um, you know, you've got, what, seven stats. Um, if people are picking up a different character, after a few weeks, you know, you can you can use the same pre-gen character sheet pretty much. Just file the numbers off, shift around a few skills. You know, it, first of all, it was a librarian. This time, it's a you know university professor. Next time, it's a bank clerk or whatever. Um, use the same numbers. Just shift some of the skill values around. There you go. Now, one of the things I particularly do with at least creating characters in BRP is rather than sit down, roll the, roll the dice, do the maths and put everything together, is I more look to see what are the skills that I think this character is going to use in the course of the adventure, what would be advantageous for them to pass more frequently, and also make it a good um, good degree of fun. You don't want to have a character that's got like 30 or 20% of the skill and find that they fail it most of the time, actually succeed the role, gives the player a good positive vibe, and give them just a good degree of chance of success in those skills, whether it be 50-70%, make it that that's their shtick and literally just put the numbers down on the sheet without having to do the maths behind it. So what if it doesn't balance and it's not by the book? Yeah, yeah. so yeah, I must admit I do the same thing. Uh, the, the other thing I'll do to, to cut corners sometimes uh, is use Bayaki uh, to generate the characters. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah, because, I mean, that's nice. If, you, if you're not familiar with Bayaki, it's a, a freely available bit of software you can download that will generate characters for you. Uh, you. You basically just press a couple of buttons and, and you get a, a full character sheet. Um, and yeah, that, that can that can save a lot of work for, for creating pre-gens if you're not fussed about the stats. Another thing you can do is to go through, say you're creating six pre-gens for a, for a one-off game. Uh, you can kind of go through and say, okay, this guy's the strongest, this guy's the fastest, um, this person's the best looking, this kind of, this person's the best educated. So they've all kind of got the best of something and then maybe go through and we'll give them all the worst of something. So this person's the ugliest, this person's the slowest. Another thing to take care to do is when it comes to dexterity, because when you call for dex order, 
Oh, yes. You've got a bunch of pregens. You don't even need to call flex order. Just write them down beforehand yes. and don't make any of them the same. So give them <laughs> one really high, one really low, and then, and then order the others in between, but step them. And um, that way you've got them all in order. And another thing you can do is, depending on how you distribute the character sheets, is give them out in order. So you, the, the one with the highest X is to your right and then just give them out, you know, um, counterclockwise from there and then you're going to go around in initiative order from there i never do that but it yeah. occurred to me that's so, a good idea so, so, so too late for me to change my pregens for blackwater creek uh, <laughs> just a little bit i'm thinking but oh that's what well, you know what no it isn't <laughs> <laughs> we've got the stretch goal the, the, the thing that that definitely reminds me of that it's a m massive advantage of a pregen over a um rolled up character by the player. Uh, case in point, we've been um, playing through Horror on the Orient Express fairly recently. And um, I think a good three quarters of our group all has deck 70. Yeah. And it's trying to work out, right, uh, it's just you, 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 and you all act at the same time. Ah! You know what, actually, that's quite cool, because I was thinking about this, do you actually need a tiebreaker? Because if you had two guys shooting each other on deck 70, you know, sometimes in films, they both shoot and they both fall down with bullets in them. So why can't mm. they just act at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. It is reservoir dogs every time. Yeah. Yes. Dogs like dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get sued. <laughs> uh, another thing, don't focus on just one PC. That's like a real oh, yes. killer. Um, yes. So yes, we've said, look at the, look at the scenario. And try to you, try to pull out characters that are kind of integral to the plot, and make those into player characters where possible. Um, but don't make it all about one, especially if you hinge the scenario on one PC, which unfortunately, from bitter experience, I have done. Um, <laughs> say that you have six PCs that you think oh, I'm going to have a full table of players, and no problem. One of them drops out, so you leave it to the players to decide which character would you like to play, which sounds most interesting to you. And one reoccurring theme that anyone who sits down at my <laughs> game table will probably know is I generally give the the hinge to the character that seems the most innocent or most um, unlikely. Uh, case in point, in one particular instance, we had one um, character who was a teenage dropout, a bit of a dreamer, a uh, generally a little bit of a wet fish. Turns out that the dreamer was actually a subtle hint that he actually had the dreaming skill, and that being a dreamland scenario, no one picked him up. Now let me just pick you up there. <laughs> subtle hint. <laughs> no good. I gave a character, I gave a player instructions in bold text, <laughs> one line of it in the middle of a page, which is key to the scenario, and he didn't read it. Mm. Yeah, I think th this, th that's actually a good point. You know, if you're, if you are creating character backgrounds and pregens, um, uh, for scenarios, it, it, it's, it is sometimes easy for players to miss things on the sheets. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, there's a bit of, uh, vital information that is, uh, tucked in amongst, you know, uh, what, what is it? Four pages of text. I knew you were going to look at me. I knew you were going to I think I interrupted Matt in mid-flow there, actually. Do you want to? No, no, I was mainly indicating the screen. No, I was saying that definitely the dossier. Um, one of my first scenarios I wrote for convention play, um, actually, um, running it at the convention got me into the publishing business, um, was the Delta Green scenario. Um, that literally had dossiers for character sheets. Um, there was at least two or three pages of background, plus a whole page of relationships on the PCs, and then you finally had the stats at the end of it. 
Um, there was yeah. a fair amount of referencing to do amongst that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been there. I've learned a lot since then. Is that when I kept hitting you over the head saying, bullet points, bullet points, <laughs> bullet points? <laughs> I think that may have been, yes. <laughs> so if you're going to write a background for the, for the characters, for the game, um, keep it short. Keep it <laughs> short. And then if, if it does have to be a paragraph or two, put some bullet points at the end. A lot of people, they're going to, what, you know, one of the killer things is that you, you, you get given the character sheet, and then there's some like whiz kid who will sit there. They'll they'll scan it and they've read it all, and you're just kind of looking at something else. And then you turn to look at your sheet, and they start talking. And then yeah. the the, the, keep, the the keeper or the GM starts talking to them. And then I can't concentrate on my sheet, and then yes. I'm getting anxious that I need to read all this stuff because I'm going to need to remember it in the game and, and who's who. And then people, other people start talking, and then the game starts, and I'm like, I haven't even read it yet. Or or I or I focus on the text. And then I miss what the keeper's saying about the setup of the game. Yeah. No, I, it's, I, I always make sure that everyone has finished reading absolutely everything on the sheet and go around and check with them before I say anything. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I give people plenty of time to read, mainly because I'm a fairly slow reading myself. So that I know I've been in that situation where, has right, everyone finished? Right, then we'll begin. No, I've got through about the first couple of paragraphs. Give me some more time. And sometimes yeah. you read that stuff, and depending on the game, sometimes it's really integral. And it's, there's some really important stuff in there. Sometimes you read it and it gives you a load of background information, none of which comes into the game. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a waste of effort on the GM's part. Then, so so yeah, don't write yeah. a big explanation of um, the bank clerk's love life and um, the fact that he's being blackmailed and, uh, and everything, and then none of that actually comes up in the game. You know, it's, sometimes, you know, things that you think will be vital or these bits of character stuff, you know, won't come into play, but you know, always make sure that it's something that could. Maybe it just builds character. Yeah. So you could say, you know, you've got a, your home life is really rough and maybe just say a little bit about that just to, to give a feel of the character. But um, where possible, these things should have the potential of coming into the game, I think. Yeah, don't write War and Peace, or write a short story. No, don't write a short story. Write a few <laughs> bullet points! <laughs> yeah, I, personally, I try to keep it limited to two or three paragraphs. Yeah. Uh, Shadow of Rinsmouth was a short story. <laughs> All right. Story. It's, it's a novella. It's a novella. All right, Colour Out in, Space in, was a short story. In comparison. Yeah. Oh, why do I have a feeling that's going to come back and bite me so many episodes? <laughs> Um, the other thing you can do is, um, and I think we touched on this earlier, is to, to give out some character sheets, maybe with, maybe partially filled in, so you can give them, um, you know, the skills, and then maybe there's another 100 skill points to spend, so they can tailor the, the character sheet as they wish a little bit. Yes. And then, did we talk about giving a few questions? We, we, we did in a previous life, yeah. yeah. So you can say, Matt, um, why does uh, why did your character kill Scott's wife? Ooh, say by accident. Let's go with Oscar's but always make it something uh, make it something uh, topical. Oh, I guess it's time for our famous William Tell act. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So, so you run away to Africa afterwards, yeah? Or because he paid you to? Yes, no, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't. You can set up 
you know, it can be conflict or it can be a reason for friendship, all manner of things. Yeah, but I mean, you can go a bit simpler than that sometimes. Sometimes it can be, you know, just a matter of, you know, which other character at the table do you hate and why? Which other character at the table do you like and why? Yeah. You know, that, that, that on its own will be. I think after a brief intro, so I've said, you know, a little bit about just a, a couple of, because there's usually that thing of go around and introduce your character so you can give a, yeah. Just a couple of lines are going to give somebody, you know, you're going to gel with somebody across the table or you're going to think that character sounds, you know, pretty awful. High yeah. class, one like low class, etc. And, and you can you can tailor that a bit to the individual scenario. And there's, there's a scenario I've run this a number of conventions uh, called The Space Between, where the characters are all members of the same church. Um, and, uh, you know, after the characters have done the introductions or the, you know, the first thing I, I ask the players is, you know, out of these characters who you've just heard, which one do you think exemplifies church teachings best and which one do you think has betrayed church teachings in some way? And oh, why? nice. So it's kind of thematically tied into yeah. the scenario. That's, I, I, that, that's created some very strong dynamics. Yeah. 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 Um, Fear itself runs off a similar idea that you have a section actually on the sheet that says um, who you like, who you don't like, what's the worst thing you ever did. So it has the GM has a hook automatically they can start tugging on to go and to create as much pain as possible and a good degree of interparty mm-hmm. conflict and friction because any any good horror should have a good degree of conflict. Definitely. So um, I think our time is about done today. Do you have something else to say, Scott? Um, no, we, 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 we can save other topics for another show. It's, it's... Well, hopefully we've got more to say. Yes. Or maybe not. No. I, I, I think we have opinions. <laughs> that is a loaded statement. Do you have opinions? One or two. <laughs> I have a squeaky chair. <laughs> Why am I like my chair making loads of noise and you guys just sit still? There's something wrong with me. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, we, could, we could talk on there's numerous other topics you could... Um, discuss as to how to link characters together, whether they be organisations or time investigators together, whether they be small groups like you say your church idea, whether it be Delta Green, whether it be whatever. There's there's numerous different ways you can do it. It's actually finding something that appeals to you and run with what you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um which are you going to say what to sum it up now, like Jerry Springer? <laughs> what have we learned? I, I, I am what often mistaken for him. So, yes. so this is why you have the squeaky chair. That's the, very in, the, in the previous takes of having taken, um, lifted it up and beat him over the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the bouncer. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't have anything more to say. Oh, that's the first and last time I think I'm going to hear you say that. <laughs> All right, well, uh, on that bombshell... <laughs> We're the good friends of... Uh, who are we the good friends of? I don't know. It's your bloody name. <laughs> it's not his <laughs> <a good> name! <laughs> Jackson Elias. We're the good friends of Jackson Elias. And we bid you good, good night. Second half.